Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. While sighted people rely on their vision quite a bit in interacting with the world, but what happens if you're sighted, but you learn that you'll soon be losing your vision? How can you prepare? We'll be talking about preparations you can make in advance for the vision loss that you've been told to expect. And we'll cover preparing your home, using adaptive aids, becoming aware of your other senses, using accessible technology, and more. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip is prepare as early as you can. Well, that's a good tip for many aspects of life. If you prepare in advance and you know what's coming, you can be ready for it. You'll be more likely to overcome any challenges successfully or complete some tasks successfully. And particularly in this case, if you know that you'll be losing your vision, there are lots of ways that you can get prepared, things you can find out about. And that's what we're going to talk about in this show. And then later on, we'll point you to some resources to get you started along that path. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira, an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. Let's start with a true story. Last month, an old friend who's fully sighted called and said his eye doctor had just told him that within five to ten years he will be totally blind. And he phoned us to ask what could he do in preparation. And so we peppered him with ideas as we thought of them. And then we thought, well, you know, other people could benefit from the same information. So we decided to share some of these thoughts with our listeners. We're dedicating this show to our old friend, Craig. Craig was a roommate of mine in graduate school, so he knew that a blind person could successfully get around in the world and be a working professional but he didn't know exactly how that might apply to him when he expected to lose his vision in the next five or 10 years. And to his credit, going back to our tip of preparing as early as possible, as soon as he got the diagnosis and before he's actually noticed any change in his vision, he called up to say, what can I do now that will get me ready for this big change that's coming down the pike? Now, of course, you can't cover everything that you can possibly do in one half-hour show, and that isn't really the purpose here. But we want to hit some highlights that we've thought of in particular areas, and that'll at least get you started thinking about some of these issues and how you can get prepared. And then also towards the end of the show, we'll give you some more specific resources that can help you start down that path yourself and learn more as you go along. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. 
As promised, this week's focus topic is what you can do well in advance to prepare for upcoming vision loss. And we've divided this into several categories. The first category that we think is really important, and this will change your whole way of life. Many people, including the two of us, have a really hard time asking for and accepting help. But if you can't see, although there are many, many, many things that blind people can do, there are still some that they need help with. And to Craig's credit, in some sense, he already started along this path. He called me and asked for some advice. But, you know, it's really difficult to learn to ask for help. If you're used to doing some things independently and on your own and not needing other people to help you out with what you're doing, you're not likely to do it. And then you feel kind of ashamed or you may feel a little uncomfortable asking for help. But, you know, what I've found is, first of all, once you get over that hurdle, which admittedly is not easy, people really want to help. People out there just feel better if they can help, if they identify a need and someone asks them, but they don't always know what to do on their own. So if you ask them and tell them what specific type of help you need, that can work out really well for both of you. Both You'll get the assistance and they'll also feel better that they gave someone a helping hand. And some of this can be very simple. If you want to get somewhere and it's too far to walk and there's no city bus that'll take you there, just calling up and asking somebody for a ride. That's a great way of getting people involved in helping you out, whether it's a long-term problem like blindness or a short-term problem like when I had shoulder surgery and neither one of us could drive for several weeks. People love to help and giving rides is quick and easy and it's over in a half an hour or a half a day and that's a good one to get used to asking for. In fact, here's a simple way of thinking about it. Put yourself in the position of the person who is being asked to help someone else. How would you feel? Well, you'd probably feel, great, I can do something good for somebody. So that really works both ways. Now, Pete got to Rochester before I did, and so he was living here alone in his own apartment, and he still needed to eat. And so he would go to the grocery store every week with a list I wrote down the list in my apartment, I put the backpack on my back, took out my cane, walked down to the grocery store, and went right up to customer service and said, can you find someone to help me do my shopping and get the items on this list? And they were always happy to do that. And after a while, you actually made some friends that way, they got to know you, and it wound up being a very pleasant experience for everybody. So, for example, at an airport? Well, again, you walk up to the ticket counter, and especially if you have a cane or you notify people that you need some assistance, they have policies in place and people in place to help you out in those situations. In fact, you see that all the time with people in wheelchairs needing special assistance to get on and off of planes. So if you're visually impaired or if you have trouble navigating, um, that's just as good of a reason to ask for some help and get some help. And of course, oftentimes the person escorting you will take you right past the long line. So it's actually a benefit. 
You might also need help identifying objects, and you can ask your friends or your family if they happen to be there, but these days there's actually some technology available to help you identify objects, whether it's an app that actually reads what's on the can or some of these crowdsourced apps where you can take a picture and a real human at the other end will identify the object, but there's help available. Well, and I've even used Skype on my PC and on my smartphone to contact a friend who can see or a relative who could see and say, you know, what is this bag I'm holding or what is this can? And that works out really well. Okay. So you've been told you're going to go blind. And before you totally get to blindness, there's a whole range of low vision And that period will last for some length of time. I mean, some people go blind precipitously, and we've had people on the show to whom that happened, whether it was surgery for a brain tumor or an automotive accident. But most people who lose their vision, it happens more slowly. And so there will be a period when you are what's considered low vision. As things are changing for you, there are some things you can do. First of all, in terms of modifying your lifestyle a little bit. One thing that comes to my mind is to learn to push in chairs into tables. You know, a lot of people, they'll get up from a table, they leave the chair out. Well, that's just an item waiting to be crashed into if your vision isn't quite clear and you're moving around quickly. That applies not just to chairs, but cabinet doors, especially upper cabinet doors. They're at head height, not a good thing to walk into. Regular doors, a regular door should be either open or shut. Some of our hinges are a little flaky. If the door winds up halfway between open and shut, there's a collision waiting to happen. Then it usually winds up halfway between my forehead. So get into the habit of closing doors, pushing chairs in and the like. Other good tips for living with low vision is to get some really good lighting. The better the lighting, the easier it is to see. That can really help. I remember when I had limited vision, sometimes magnifying glasses would help, but particularly if there was good light, I always had good, bright, white lights, and that helped me see what I was trying to look at quite a bit. So Pete mentioned magnifying glasses. These days, There are handheld magnifiers, there are eyeglasses with built-in magnifiers, and some of them actually have kind of telescopic lenses, so they have significant magnification, and there's digital magnifiers that you can use on your computer or your smartphone or your tablet. So get used to using those and just increase the magnification as you need it. Other things that might come in handy while you've still got some vision is large print reading material, and that's available at the public library as well as at many bookstores. And with e-readers, you can adjust the size of the print to however big you need it. You know, in fact, I remember going down to the public library And they used to have their book sales to raise money at the end of the year. And my mom, as she was getting older, she loved to read, but she didn't have any specialty glasses or magnifiers. She just was very reluctant to use those aids, despite much advice from me. But anyway, we'd go down to the public library, and for very inexpensively, we'd find hardcover books with very large print and lots of contrast. And those were a lot easier for her to read. 
We never told her they were used from the public library. We did not. She thought we were sports. But the library does have many large print books, and you should ask the reference librarian about that if that would make things easier for you. You should also know that there are all sorts of adaptive aids available, and we will get into resources where you can find these things. But as your vision is failing, if there's something you like to do that involves reading, you can get large print cards, large print games, large print books. Um, If you like to sew or you like to knit or you like to cook, there's all sorts of aids available that will just make it easier for you as your vision is failing. Well, in fact, we did that for your grandmother as she got older. She didn't, again, use any specialty aids or anything, but, you know, we knew it was difficult for her to see some things, and we got our set of large print playing cards, and then she was able to more easily play bridge with all of her friends, and they all enjoyed that. Right. The next category we'd like to talk about is getting used to doing things in non-visual ways while you still have some vision. It's easier to learn some of these techniques if you can supplement what you're learning with what you can see. One of the first things you want to take care of is where you're living. Now, Craig is lucky because he lives in a house that's easy to get around. It's on a street with a sidewalk. It's a short walk from the center of town if he needs to go to a store. It's on a bus line, so he can stay where he is. But at least in the United States, so many people live in rural areas or in suburbs, and it's just plain too far to walk anywhere, and there isn't mass transit available. If you're one of those people, you might think about moving and you might think about moving while you can still see so that you can learn your way around your new home and your new neighborhood. In fact, when I first came to Xerox, they had a housing placement service to help you find a place to live. And of course, they wanted to put me pretty close to work because that would be easy for a blind person. But that was in the suburbs and there weren't sidewalks and easy places to walk to. So I specifically found a place in downtown Rochester where there were lots of sidewalks, good public transportation in terms of buses and taxis and supermarkets I could walk to. And that made life a lot easier. Plus the density of people there made it a lot easier for me to find rides to work and to carpool with other people. And in addition to where you live, the place that you live in can make a difference, too. There are some houses that have many steps and up and downs throughout them, and that isn't necessarily good if your vision may be getting fuzzy and you may trip over a stair or something. So get a house that's easy to navigate around. That can also help out. So we talked about having a home that was close to mass transit. Well, if you're used to driving... Get used to using mass transit. And in many locations, there's also paratransit available. That's a special service for people with physical disabilities. Visual impairments count. All you need is a letter from your eye doctor, and you can get some help with the form. They don't mind that. And then paratransit will provide transportation for you. So that's really handy. And you should find out about what's available in your community. And get used to carpooling. Get used to 
knowing which of your neighbors and friends may be going to certain places where you want to go and who you can rely on for certain emergencies. Okay, the next really important thing that you'll need to do by the time you've lost your vision is to be aware of your other senses. And if you still have some vision, this is a great time to learn how to do things using your other senses. You know, it's amazing. As we said early on in the show, sighted people rely a lot on their visual input. But I always tell people, you know, if you lose one of your senses, you still have four more left. And so it's your job to compensate using those other senses. And unless you're used to doing that, you'll think that those senses aren't very useful. But they are. You know, when I'm walking down the mall, I know when I'm passing the bakery. I know when I'm passing a bookstore. I know when I'm passing the candle store just by the smell. Use your ears. You know when you're in a big space, when there's a wall alongside of you. You don't even have to see the wall. Just things sound a little bit differently. Right. People who can see don't think about what it feels like when they're going down a flight of stairs. You should learn to feel what the last step feels like while you can still see where it is. And the last thing in this category is organize your house. Get yourself and everybody else who spends a lot of time in your home used to putting things where they belong. First of all, it's a lot less stuff for you to remember. But second of all, if somebody else puts something in the wrong place, you're never going to find it. But, you know, you walk into some people's houses and there is stuff all over the place. And, you know, that's okay if you can see and they can just gaze around and find where things are. But if you're losing your vision, first of all, you're not going to find what you're looking for. Second of all, a lot of these things can be real tripping hazards or you may just break things that are in the wrong place if you knock them over or step on them. So that's real important to learn to be organized. And if you have some time to work on that before you actually lose too much of your vision, you'll be in a better position. Enough for stuff that you can do by yourself in your own home, taking care of your own situation, but you will want to identify some services that you will want to use. And again, it's easier if you find all of this information before you absolutely need it. So there is probably some sort of local agency for the visually impaired in your vicinity. It may be an official agency, it may be a volunteer group, it may be something through the local Kiwanis Club, it may be something through the government, but find out what it is in your area and find out how to get in touch with them and find out what services they provide. A lot of these organizations run support groups and then just groups to do fun things with, so book groups and groups that take tours around town to various events. There are theater groups in town that have audio-described theater that you might be interested in seeing where they give you a set of headphones and they'll describe what's happening on the stage that you may not be able to see so clearly. Of course, the Internet contains more information than you want to deal with. But if you have a question, you should learn how to use the Internet to find the answer and get your favorite sites that you can use to refer back to as your questions evolve. Well, as Nancy says, 
If you have a question, chances are someone else has not only had that question, but has actually dealt with that situation and may have a way of addressing it that is comfortable for you to leverage off of. And of course, you can keep listening to us. Tune in to Eyes on Success every week. Another category that you're probably wondering about is technology. And of course, when Craig popped his question, that was the first thing Pete wanted to talk about, being a technophile and retired physicist. But the bottom line is, for the technology, what you need to know now is that there's an awful lot of technology available. But if it's going to take more than a year for you to lose your vision... It'll be different. It will probably be better by the time you need it. Well, and as Nancy points out to many people, in my case, I had some limited vision when I was younger. But as my eyesight deteriorated, the technology improved, thus keeping my access at a good level to everything I wanted to have access to. But a lot of the technologies I use these days just weren't available 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So you have to keep an eye out for that nodal change. But there are technologies even these days that make life so much easier and access so much easier for almost any level of being visually impaired. Right. And some of the major ones, depending on your level of vision loss, there are screen magnifiers, closed circuit television systems, and some of these sit on a desk, but some of them are small enough to carry around with you. There's built-in accessibility and Zoom features in pretty much every computer, e-reader, smartphone, tablet, etc. There are screen readers that will actually read what's on the screen out loud to you or convert it into Braille. There are telephone apps that you can use to identify objects or colors or whatever. Optical character recognition packages that will actually read a document and convert it into text. Ebooks and audiobooks. And in the next segment, we'll be discussing ways of keeping current on what's out there. Or some people are afraid of technologies or not comfortable with technologies, but there are many of these technologies at various levels of simplicity, from anywhere to simple to complex, depending on what your needs and desires are. So you may just want a handheld magnifying glass with a light attached to it, or you may want some sort of technical wizardry that'll take things to a whole nother level. Now for this week's final item, resources for investigating further on your own as your situation evolves. We would like to start with the American Foundation for the Blind's Vision Aware, including their Getting Started kit. They have a very extensive set of resources available on the net for a full range of visual acuity conditions and for the whole range of where you might be in the process of vision loss, anywhere from the beginnings to being completely blind. And it's very accessible. Their site is very well laid out. And there's many helpful hints about many of the tasks that you'll face in daily life. And in addition, they cover many vocations, many hobbies. There are sections on woodworking and knitting and reading and 
anything you can think of. And if you think of something that they don't have a section in, there's a place where you can submit a question and pretty soon they'll probably be able to come up with some advice for you on that topic as well. In addition, the National Federation of the Blind has online a section of their website for those losing vision. The National Federation of the Blind, or NFB as many people abbreviate it, also has a lot of resources and groups for people in different professions and people of various interests. They have a group devoted to people who like to write, lawyers, and all kinds of other interesting activities. We mentioned a couple of specific resources that the AFB and NFB provide. In addition, there's all sorts of other resources available at their websites and at the American Council of the Blind website. And of course, they're all referred to by their initials, AFB, NFB, ACB. If you're in another country, you might be more familiar with the RNIB or the CNIB. And you should look up whatever your national organization for the blind might be. And that's a great way to get started. You know, you might be a little bit shy about talking to people in person or going down to an agency face-to-face and meeting somebody, but you can investigate a lot of this on the web, get a lot of information on the web, and then decide where you want to go from there. And in addition, in a much less formal setting, there are all sorts of peer-to-peer groups where People with visual impairments who are interested in a particular topic have set up a distribution list or a listserv or whatever you want to call it, and they communicate with each other. So there's a large number of blind people interested in ham radio, interested in music, interested in computer accessibility, on and on and on. Anything you can think of, there's probably a group for it, and Google can help you find anything. But Pete can give you some pointers on finding these. Well, yeah, you can search for a lot of those email forums on the web. Also, the NFB has a whole list of specialty forums for a variety of topics and interests. All these people are very friendly. You ask questions there, you'll often get a number of answers from people, and you can work out many issues that way and actually learn a lot. Plus, you might have some ideas of your own and be able to help out other people. So it's a two-way street. Now, if you're looking for something physical that you can use as a person with vision loss, whether it's toys or watches or kitchen equipment or white canes or on and on and on, there are several mail order houses from which you can obtain a huge number of aids. Our favorites are MaxiAIDS, Independent Living Aids, and the LS&S group, and they all three have really good web presences. In fact, it's from these places that we found large print playing cards, Braille Scrabble so I could play with other people, Braille Uno when I used to want to play Uno with the kids, many other adaptive games and sports equipment like beeping balls and This is just a wealth of information in those catalogs. And as we said before, you can listen to us. And we mentioned our resource quite a bit here. In fact, we gave you a number of resources throughout this show. 
And, you know, it's difficult for people to write down all the web addresses and contact information. That's why we have the show notes associated with each show. And if you click on the link for our show notes for any episode, you'll find links to all of the contact information and resources that we talked about. So if you're looking for some of these agencies or some of these catalogs, go to our show notes and there it'll be. That's it for show number 1925. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be speaking with a blind disability rights attorney. Scott Labar has been blind since he was a youth, although he was mainstreamed in school all the way through college and law school. He is now an attorney who specializes in disability rights law, including issues concerning people with vision loss. He has worked for the National Federation for the Blind and was instrumental in negotiating the Marrakesh Treaty. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.